It's Wednesday, March 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. What do you do if you suspect you might have coronavirus? First thing you should do is call your doctor rather than drive down there. You don't want to spread the virus if you can help it. For today's update, we'll talk to Dr. Ray Kasheri, pulmonary disease expert and former chief medical officer at St. Joseph Hospital, about how the virus can and cannot spread and why cotton gloves could help. Next, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the third major challenge to the Affordable Care Act, and the timing of it all will make it a major campaign issue for the election. The Trump administration supports doing away with the ACA, and oral arguments before the court could happen weeks or even days ahead of Election Day 2020. Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter at Axios, joins us for more. Finally, it can be pretty scary when your teen starts driving. The good thing, however, is that parents and insurers can both track your kids with new apps that allow them to monitor acceleration and heartbreaking even when you are calling or texting. Insurers sometimes even offer discounts for using the monitoring apps. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to track the kids without being in the car. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Business setting in a social setting, again, it's just ingrained in us. We're just so conditioned to shake hands, hug or kiss each other. Um, We need to kind of back off that. It just is something that has low risk and likely to have some benefits. Joining us now is Dr. Ray Kasheri, pulmonary disease expert and former chief medical officer at St. Joseph's Hospital in Orange County, California. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Ray. Thanks for having me. We're going to be giving some regular updates on coronavirus. Obviously, a lot of people are very concerned about the spread of it right now. It's moving unpredictably in America right now. We're getting little reports of new cases every day. We just got a report that we have the ninth death attributed to coronavirus still coming out of Washington state. There seems to be a cluster of infections that happen at a nursing home there. But Dr. Ray wanted to bring you out and just talk generally about coronavirus right now. I know a lot of people are just really worried about it and start off by if you're worried you have the coronavirus, what should you do? A lot of people say the first step is to call your doctor. Don't go to the doctor because if you could be infected, you don't want to spread it. Well, coronavirus for 80 to 84% of the people just presents like the common cold. You have a runny nose, maybe some aches and pains, but by and large, nothing real serious. In fact, most people have no idea that they have it. And they get over it very quickly. And that's one of the problems with this virus, because those folks who don't know they're sick are more likely to spread it because, again, they don't know they're sick. So they don't know how to protect themselves. So if you have cough, sneezes, sort of unexplained symptoms like that, you can go ahead and call your doctor. But unless you've had some kind of exposure or you're in a very susceptible population, the chances of you having coronavirus are remarkably low. It's much more likely that you have a common cold or that you have influenza, much more likely. Now, let's get back to your question, which is, what do you do? And what you do is you call your doctor. And if you've had an exposure history, if you've traveled to a country where the virus has been prominent, like China, or you work in a healthcare facility where maybe other patients with coronavirus are present, or you think you've been exposed to somebody who's been exposed, then you can go to an emergency room and you can be tested. And that would be the first step. All right, that's for the vast majority of the folks. That's for like 84% of the people. What about the people who get really sick? And their people do get really sick with this. About 16% of the population can actually have a significant illness. Primarily presents with fever, 
cough, shortness of breath, chest tightness, and occasionally very, very high fevers, okay? Sometimes you can cough up mucus and your lungs actually fill up with water. When that situation occurs, you absolutely have to go to a hospital and supportive care will then ensue. So that's kind of the situation right now. With a lot of these cases, especially in Washington now, people are being concerned about community spread, somebody that might have it and not have known, and what happens with them? They travel to the local market, they're traveling to wherever they have to go to work and back, and that's kind of the concern right there, how that spreads. That is the big concern. It's interesting. I just traveled yesterday from Los Angeles to Chicago, and I was kind of interested to see how folks were reacting to this. I saw one person in all of the airports and the planes. I saw one person with a mask. And that actually makes some sense. There's no real reason to be wearing masks. The mask will not protect you from coronavirus. If you knew you had it, then there might be a reason to wear a mask because it would stop you from propelling your cough forward. But obviously, these people aren't traveling and knowing they have the virus. So I think the mask and the run on the stores to get the mask is probably not appropriate. (laughs) Now, interestingly, one thing that probably would help you is cotton gloves, because the virus can be spread by touching a surface with the virus and then touching your eyes, your nose, or your mouth. Well, one thing that prevents that is cotton gloves. And I actually wore cotton gloves for the trip. And it was not a problem, and and nobody looked at me like I had a disease or anything, and it worked out just fine. So wash your hands and the cotton gloves. But I certainly didn't see panic in the airports I was in or the planes I was in. It was pretty calm. That nursing home in Washington is a different situation. Obviously, someone exposed the folks in that nursing home, and that could have been a healthcare worker. It could have been a previous contact. There's some speculation that that virus might have been in that community for several days before it was detected. So there may be other people exposed. The really important data about the nursing home is this particular virus seems to be affecting the old much more significantly than the young. There hasn't been any deaths in people under the age of 50. So infants and children seem to be doing pretty well. But over the age of 80, the mortality rate in China is between 14 and 18 percent. So that's pretty significant. So it definitely affects the old more than the young. And that helps explain the deaths in Washington. Yeah, with a lot of this stuff, how to prevent it, how to keep yourself safe and everything, it all really comes back to basics. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face because if you touch stuff, it'll get to your face and get into you. Obviously, we still need to know a lot more about the coronavirus There's been a study of other coronaviruses, and they found that it can remain on metal, glass, and plastic for either two hours to up to nine days. So I know countries around the world are really stepping up efforts to disinfect a lot of surfaces just in case. Yes, and actually, I did that with my plane ride, and I recommend this. I took the wipes, wiped down everything I was going to touch on the plane, and I noticed that people around me were doing the same, and my wife offered alcohol wipes to the people sitting around us and they all took them and they all were wiping down the plane. So people are getting the message, but I still wore the cotton gloves, by the way. (laughs) Well, that's very nice of her to offer. And I'm sure everybody appreciated that. Dr. Ray, please just tell us what the biggest takeaway of all of this is. I know the virus will continue to spread. There will be more cases reported. There possibly, unfortunately, will be more deaths reported. 
But are we looking at a huge spread in the United States? I know there's a lot of efforts to contain it, obviously, but are we looking at something on the level of China or some of these other countries? I don't think we're looking at something on the level of China because it got way out of control in China. I think we'll probably do better than that. And I think that the takeaway for most people is to plan, but not to panic. There's no reason to panic here. This virus is certainly not as bad as some of the other viruses that have swept the world, like the influenza epidemic in 1918 or the Ebola epidemic and so on. So we're going to be okay. It's going to take a while. We're going to have to work through this. Ultimately, there will be either an antiviral therapy or a vaccination, but that might be a year to a year and a half away. So for right now, especially if you're elderly, be careful. Try to avoid crowds. Try to avoid getting directly coughed on, if that's at all possible. If you're at a party with a lot large gathering of people, if you see somebody who's coughing, you have to avoid that person. Other than that, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. If you have to travel, wear cotton gloves. And if you do become ill, contact your healthcare professional because even though there's no specific therapy, there's a lot of supportive therapy. And we can probably support most patients through this so that they'll have an eventual recovery. Dr. Ray Kasheri, pulmonary disease expert and former chief medical officer at St. Joseph's Hospital in Orange County, California. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. I hope this helps. Meanwhile, in his State of the Union speech, President Trump promised that people with pre-existing conditions would be protected. Yet nothing in his budget stops the Trump administration's aggressive support for a lawsuit that would repeal the Affordable Care Act, including coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Joining us now is Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter for Axios. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. The Supreme Court has said that it will take up the Affordable Care Act in its next session. This will be the third time now the Supreme Court has held the Affordable Care Act's life in its hands. Caitlin, tell us a little bit about why they decided to take it up again. It seemed like the case wasn't going to hit the Supreme Court until well after the election. And the verdict is likely to happen after the election. But I think what we're looking at now is a likely scenario in which oral arguments are held before the Supreme Court in the fall, potentially in October, which is right before Americans head to the polls in November for the 2020 election. Yeah. And with healthcare being such a big topic for the Democrats, they're going to hammer this the entire cycle all the way up until the 2020 election. Why is it up there again? I know originally it had to do with the individual mandate and that was struck down. Then they said that the entire thing was unconstitutional. Are we still in that same reasoning? Yeah, I mean, that's what Republican attorneys general are doing with the support of the Trump administration. And, you know, of course, we don't know how courts are going to rule. We've seen the Supreme Court kind of have some shocking decisions in previous ACA cases, but it is very safe to say that the entire law is at risk through this court case. The whole thing could get struck down if the Republicans win. And that includes the ACA's protections for people with pre-existing conditions, which is a very popular provision of the law and which became only more popular during Republicans' repeal-replace efforts in 2017. And that's one of the major things, you know, the president has constantly said, well, we're going to protect people with pre-existing conditions. But if this gets struck down, Republicans in the White House haven't put a plan forth yet. So everything will kind of be in limbo 
until they do get a plan going there. How does the Affordable Care Act fare in the polls? Because it's always been kind of popular. I think lately it's been a little bit more popular since the discussion about health care is going on. How does it fare out with the people? The Affordable Care Act, I mean, it's definitely gotten more popular throughout the Trump administration's tenure, but specifically pre-existing conditions protections, protecting those is just through the roof in terms of support. So I think that Democrats saying save the ACA is a semi-popular message right now, but saying help people with pre-existing conditions and make sure those protections remain in place, that is an incredibly successful political message right now. And the evidence of that is 2018, where Democrats ran heavily on pre-existing conditions and the ACA's protection of those, and it really did them good. And going back to the politics of it, of the Democratic presidential candidates that we have right now, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg want to keep this going. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren want to scrap it completely in favor of Medicare for all. So it's going to be a huge issue leading up until the election. And obviously the White House wants to do away with it and put their own plan in. So this is really going to be one of the central fights as it is. Healthcare is always one of the top priorities for people. I think this is me putting my pundit hat a little bit right now, but it's easy to see how Biden or Bloomberg would very easily fold this court case into their healthcare messaging, you know, saying the Trump administration wants to knock down the ACA, including its pre-existing conditions protections. We want to keep it and build on it and make it more affordable. For someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, who are advocating for Medicare for all, they're similar fights. You know, you can tie them together through affordability, universal health care, things like that. But it's not as easy of a message to say we want Medicare for all and we want to save the ACA from President Trump. So I'd be interested to see how if one of those two candidates ends up being the nominee, how they're able to thread that needle. I mean, it's going to be an interesting time if they get to this in October or just before the election. So fun times with healthcare. Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It detects whether you're braking too hard, driving too fast, and it can also detect phone usage, which is becoming an important thing for parents to want to know if their children are doing. Are they texting while driving? Are they talking on the phone while they're in their car? Joining us now is Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about apps that allow parents and insurers to track their teen drivers. Sometimes it could backfire in some funny ways, but every parent knows that feeling when you're sending your kid off to drive alone for the first time, especially if you're doing practice hours with them and you know they might not be particularly the best driver or paying attention. It's very worrisome to put them out there, but there's all sorts of apps now that, as I said, parents and insurers, that's an important part of this, that they can use to monitor their teens. Things like how fast you're going, how hard you're braking. Julie, tell us a little bit more about it. So there are a number of apps, including ones that are very consumer-centric, like Life360, which is a location-sharing app that also has a feature called Driver Protect that you have to pay for. And that provides a window into how people are driving, both for teenagers and any member of the family that signs up on the app and shares that information. So it does the things, like you said, it detects whether you're braking too hard, driving too fast, and it can also detect phone usage, which is becoming an important thing for parents to want to know if their children are doing. Are they texting while driving? Are they talking on the phone while they're in their car? This app and others like it offer the ability to see if their kids are using their phones when they're not supposed to be. 
obviously no kid likes to be spied on or have their phone monitored, things like that. So how does that play out in the family dynamic when the kids know that they're being tracked at least? Yeah, I think for a lot of kids, they just don't have a choice. You know, if they want to have a car and they want their parents to either pay for it or allow them to have a car and pay for other bills, they have no choice but to agree to do this. Otherwise, the car gets taken away. So some teens I spoke to are fine with it. They understand what it's all about and they're okay with it. And in some ways, it provides them a little bit of comfort. They know if they get into an accident, their parents will be alerted. Others simply hate it. (laughs) They don't want to be tracked, (laughs) especially the older teens and, you know, young adults that are still kind of living under mom and dad's roof that resent being tracked in this fashion. Yeah, I'm sure it's the talking on the phone and texting one that is probably the most concerning, at least for the teens. So you mentioned Life360. There's other ones like Road Ready, Safe Drive. Verizon has one that's called Hum. But I mentioned insurers at the beginning of this. A lot of them have their own apps that track drivers and things that they're doing also. The big insurance companies, including State Farm and Allstate, have apps that allow parents to do the same thing. And if their teenagers are exhibiting good driving behavior, they can actually save quite a bit of money on their premiums, or they can get cash back or other rewards in the form of gift cards, just incentives to be a better driver. That's a great feature right there to get people on board right away. I know some of the different ways is that you can get that multi-car discount, things like that. And if it's something as easy as an app that can track you, obviously the overall goal is safety. I'm willing to think a lot of parents are ready to go for that right away. Yeah, exactly. And I think with teenagers especially, there's quite a bit of sticker shock when you get the teen driver on your car insurance and you realize how much your rates are going to go up. So the ability to save quite a bit of money is definitely attractive for parents. With State Farm's app, people can save up to 30% on their premiums, depending on how safely they drive. But they're guaranteed a minimum savings of 1% just for using the app. And the important thing to note is these insurance companies, they don't ding you if you are showing bad driving behaviors. So it's not like they're going to use that information against you, which... You know, I think might be some people's fear, but they don't do that. <laughs> Not yet. Wait till next year when it's time to renew all the They can always the renew the policy, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you get into an accident, of course, all that gets factored you into me- your rate. You mentioned some of these insurance companies can earn points and things like that. Allstate has a fun one where you can complete safe driving challenges, such as making 10 trips with no high speeds or sudden braking. And then you can use those points for discounts on all sorts of things. That's kind of fun, you know, just to kind of give people an incentive, I guess. But I mentioned kind of this thing with the teens and their parents not wanting to be tracked. It works both ways because on some of these apps, everybody's lumped into the app tracking. And there's been a few instances where I think you noted in the story, somebody's parents went like 98 miles an hour and they screenshot and they told them, hey, what's with this? Why are you speeding? If every member of the family is involved in the app, they can see each other as long as the parents don't opt out of being tracked themselves in that way. But yeah, I talked to one man uh, in Nebraska and he was on a vacation in Arizona with his wife. He had rented a Mustang convertible. He was out by Sedona and he wanted to see how fast he could get that car. And his daughter... She was back home in in Nebraska. She noticed on the app that her father had completed a trip and had reached a top speed of 98 miles an hour. (laughs) So she busted him for that, and they got a good laugh out of that. But it definitely works both ways. You know, another mom I spoke to said that she got the Life360 app because she was really concerned that her 16-year-old son would be texting and driving. And it turns out, the data shows her, that she uses her phone way more than he does while driving. Ah, see, you got to be careful. If you're going to get into something like this, uh, your kids now can hold you accountable also. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.